Good morning, afternoon, evening. Welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter as we talk to you about college football, the MLB, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, the vault of hilarious contracts, Mike's stupid rules, your weekly journal tab, and of course, write that down predictions here on episode 96. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, Iowa high, high school football sports are, you know, starting. Uh, the season started, what, two weeks ago, I think. And what they're doing to help mitigate the the Rona is they're switching out balls every fourth down. Um, so when, when a team changes possession, they're switching out balls. And they're sanitizing them in between time, which kind of got me to thinking, like, how many balls are required by each home team, you know? Uh, so obviously at least two, and I think the actual Iowa High School rulebook says two uh, balls are required by the home team. And I, I kind of got to look, and the NFL requires 36 balls from the home team for an outdoor game and 24 for an indoor, indoor game, which I didn't realize there was a discrepancy between the indoor and outdoor game, but I'm kind of wondering if they're going to decide to sanitize the footballs for the NFL season as well. I'm not sure how, you know, how much that actually works to help prevent the spread of the coronavirus, but kind of got me to thinking because we are less than a week away from the Cyclones home opener, the start of football for the Cyclones. Yes, we are. We are one week away Saturday, September 12th against the University of Louisiana. We now have a game time. It will be at 11 a.m. Everybody loves those morning kickoffs. 11 a.m. The game will be televised on ESPN. Um... If we look at some of the metrics and betting lines, etc., Iowa State is 11-point favorites um, at home in this game. And ESPN's Football Power Index gives us a 79% chance to win the game. So this is still uh, so Louisiana is still you know not a Power Five team, right? But they ain't Louisiana Monroe like we played last year. Different school. They're actually better. Louisiana is a respectable group of five uh, football team there. So this will not be a cakewalk um, like some of the non-conference games are. Um, Louisiana is a respectable club. The Cyclones will have to play well in order to be able to win this ball game, but they should win this ball game. There's no reason the Cyclones can't win this ball game. And if they don't win this ball game, any, the, any excitement for this season is just going to go out the window, at least for me. Like if you're going to have a good season this season, you got to win this ball game. So, you got to win this ball game on Saturday. Um, especially, so- especially if you don't win this ball game, you know that's such a negative uh, impact on your confidence going into conference play, which is exactly one week later. Two so, weeks later, we're off on the or two. Night. Sorry, two weeks later. It, right, you you can't lose that first game at all. Just can't happen. Yeah, got to win it. Um, so that'll be 11 a.m. on ESPN. Take a look at it. One more Cyclone scheduling note from last um, since last week. Um, the Texas game that was originally scheduled for Saturday, um, November 28th, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, was moved to a Friday the 27th. Uh, so Black Friday game against Texas there in Austin. Other than that, the schedule remains the same. Um, well, the same pandemic-adjusted schedule that was that we talked about previously. 
So speaking of the scheduling, uh, the Big 12 Conference made an announcement uh, earlier, or I guess this weekend, rather, um, this past weekend, um, announcing uh, cancel like get football game cancellation thresholds. So it dictates that the minimum number of players required to play a game has been set at 53. The number based on is based on the entire roster, including all scholarship and walk-on players. Additional minimum thresholds of available players were also established. So for offensive linemen, you're required to have seven active players. Interior defensive linemen, four, and at least one active quarterback. Uh, teams falling, falling below any of these benchmarks based on uh, game week test results. Uh, for COVID could still elect to play as scheduled if so desired. Otherwise, upon approval by the commissioner, the game would be declared a no contest if it cannot be moved to a later date. Uh, So if you're looking at the schedule and wondering when would they make up those games? Well, each team has two bye weeks during the season. So they would possibly look at using either of those two bye weeks as a p- possibility for making up games. And the Big 12 also came out with the schedule saying that the uh, Big 12 championship game has the ability to be played on either of two dates in December. Uh, so it could be pushed back to the later date if a game needed to be played in order to determine who goes to like seeding and who would go to that Big 12 championship game. So that is the dictation from the Big 12. Um, it basically, basically any team can choose to play if they want to or not, but it does have those stipulations and those guidelines. If a game, uh, can be declared a no contest or rescheduled to a later date. So those will be good things to keep in mind. Hopefully we don't get to the point where that's going to have to get invoked this year, but it's good that they're putting it in there because it's showing they have more foresight than the MLB had who just sort of had COVID cases and had no plan. So it's good that the Big 12 seems to have a plan, unlike Major League Baseball had at the beginning of the year. Um, Speaking of plans, we reported last week. Was it? Did we report? Yeah, we reported last week that that Jamie Pollard um, had announced that there would be 25,000 fans um, at Cyclone, at least at this first Cyclone game at Jack Trice Stadium. Over the course of the week, um, there was a reversed course. There will be no fans at any Cyclone sporting events this semester. Um, President Winterstein came in and uh, sort of overruled Jamie Pollard on that one um, and just declared that there would be no fans. Um, Besides some disappointed Cyclone fans, um, the two biggest things that I, or the biggest thing that I took away from this is that's even more financial pain for the athletic department. Because remember when I went over the um, budget rundown from last year, it assumed that there would be 25,000 fans at each football game. So without that, um, it increases the budget shortfall for the athletic department up from, up from I think it was $17.5 million that they were already facing, up to um, $30 million now, um, which has forced them to consider things that they weren't considering previously. Remember last week I said they were not planning on cutting any sports, now Jamie Pollard says cutting sports is on the table, um, as well as more salary reductions and layoffs um, there. The other surprising thing um, that I saw is that um, 
C.Y. Stevens Auditorium is run by the athletic department. Um, and one of the things they are considering doing um, is closing C.Y. Stevens Auditorium permanently um, as part of a way to save money. So we'll see if either the university or the city of Ames or both step up and try to keep that open. But right now it is looking at CY, that C.Y. Stevens might close which does, you know, suck a little bit for us arts people, you know, music and arts people who've used CY Stevens for a lot of different things throughout the year. But money matters. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see if the university actually jumps back in to try and save it since the athletic department was the one who bailed out the university a couple of years ago uh, when they couldn't afford to keep CY Stevens open and operational so the athletic department took it upon or took it into their budget and now with everything going on they can't afford it either so yeah something to consider as well is um i I think the discussion about closing cy stevens permanently should be asterisked uh because after the athletic department kind of gets back on its feet assuming you know next season everything goes back to normal i feel like you would reopen up cy stevens it's not something that you would just close the doors on permanently I mean, it's been in the red for you know decades, pretty much, and it was handed off to athletics last year, and you know, in the hopes of turning a profit before um, the the pandemic kind of struck the globe. So you'd have to kind of think that even if you decided to close D.Y. Stevens, quote unquote, permanently, it would just be permanently until we get money back into the system, because it doesn't make sense to keep it open right now anyway, because you can't do shows in there. I mean, the Nutcracker isn't going to happen. That happens every year. C.Y. Stevens, obviously, um, along with other events. It's a large enough space where you probably could do those things, but it's just not, you know, fiscally responsible to do that. Yeah. So the one thing that Jamie Pollard said in his letter, and he said this with cutting sports as well, is that closing CY Stevens and cutting sports aren't things that are going to save the athletic department money this year, right? But there's nothing that they could do that's going to save them enough money this year, right? So they're going to have to borrow money to survive this year. Where they're going to save money on cutting sports and Stevens is down the future when they're going to have to pay back what they're borrowing. And the big thing with Stevens is it in itself doesn't lose an obscene amount of money, but there's 30 plus million dollars of deferred maintenance that Stevens needs over the next five to 10 years that not having the athletic department on the hook for that, as well as the debt that they're going to rack up over the course of this year to stay functioning was a big part of that, um, that Jamie Pollard said. So it's worth looking at, but it was more the maintenance cost than the operating cost of CY Stevens that was getting, that was um, causing the problems. But you do make a good point, Wyatt, that with part of that whole, um, we do of the whole um, athletic area there, with they were going to add the parking garage and the Skyway and the hotel and all of that. What did they call that? There was a, there was a name for that. What was uh, it called? It wasn't like a play on the Power and Light District. Yeah, well, that's what it was designed after, yeah. yeah. And the lead architect who was a part of that was the one who had a hand in the Power and Light District. Um, but wasn't it called, like, the comp, like the cycle? Like, uh, yeah. I, I can look it up just for, uh, yeah. You know. But it, so the, the plan was that um, C.Y. Stevens would be a part of that, right? As a part of that, because C.Y. Stevens would be more centrally located for the community, right, with new parking and hotel opportunity, et cetera, it would become better, right, and start to turn a profit with that, too. So, 
if they're even planning on keeping CY Stevens. Because, I mean, they were in those initial renders, but, I mean, uh, I don't know. I, I Personally, I hope CY Stevens comes back and stays open. Right now, I can understand closing it, and I guess I didn't consider the deferred maintenance cost like you brought up, but that's such a historical part of the fine arts community. And you got to consider a lot of the money that athletics gets donated um, from some of the more affluent families in the area are actually from fine arts-based uh, families. So think of the, the Fisher family who basically, you know, created Fisher Theater. They still donate uh, Buku bucks to the athletic department. So rubbing them the wrong way might, you know, um, diminish the potential donated cash flow that the athletic department runs on. Yep. Yeah, a lot of things to keep in mind. But we'll keep an eye on that and see what actually – nothing's been set in stone yet. But we'll keep – those are the things that Jamie Pollard brought up as possibilities – um, so we'll have to see going forward what actually comes to fruition. But we are assuming that the season will complete and come to a fruition. So as we have a tendency to do here on the 8311 cast right before season starts, we are going to run down and give our season preview and record predictions here for Cyclone football. We are going to start here week one against Louisiana. Um, we did a preview of the game a little bit. Um, what are you guys' predictions for that game? W. Solid W. The Cyclones are going to start the season well. Hopefully Matt Campbell is the source of stability that the Cyclones need. Um, Brock Purdy has something to prove this year as his draft stock continues to climb. Um, and I think they'll get themselves off on the right foot. I think it'll be a... Two touchdown and a field goal victory. So a 17-point victory for the Cyclones. Nice. Yeah, I've also got this as a win. I mean, I don't make score predictions till the day of the game, so I ain't giving you a score prediction. But, yeah, this is going to be a win. You got that it. wasn't a score prediction. It was a final prediction. Either way, don't do it, I don't do it till before the day of the game. So I don't see how you can consider this an L. I mean, um, like we were talking about earlier, you, you have to win this game to, to be – the team that we are, Iowa State, you have to win this game. The last time we, we lost a season opener at home was, what, 2016 against you and I? Northern Iowa, yep. And yep. then that, that whole season was uh, tainted. I mean, I wouldn't consider it just because of that game. That was kind of a whole cultural thing. But I think we went, we got three wins that, that season. Yeah. You got you to gotta chalk this one up as a win and uh, see what happens. Now, do you guys want to go down and – do each game individually, we each gave our predictions for this game, or do you want to one person at a time go through the whole season and give you record predictions? Well, let's one person at a time go through and give our record. Okay, sounds I like, good. I like that yeah. one better. Go ahead and start us off then, Kyle. All right, so as we're looking at this, as we're looking at the schedule, uh, the, we've got home games against Oklahoma, Texas Tech, uh, Baylor, Kansas State, and West Virginia. I think there will only be one home loss this season, and it will be to Oklahoma. Uh, so, or and then obviously the Louisiana Lafayette game is also another home game. So it's right, not Louisiana there, Lafayette. It is Louisiana or Louisiana. Sorry, just went over this. On the schedule, it says Louisiana Lafayette. No, it doesn't. What schedule are you looking at? The one right on Google. You so I, I can I confirm. <laughs> That's you what it says. Fire Google and go to cyclones.com. Yeah, fire Google. Louisiana. Fire Google. Google's trash. Uh, moving on. So that is 
uh, a win against Louisiana, Texas Tech, two wins, uh, a win against K-State, Baylor, and West Virginia. So that's five wins at home. Then the road games are TCU, Oklahoma State, Kansas, and Texas. Kansas is a solid victory. Easy. Easy money right there. Six wins. TCU, they've got quarterback issues. That's a seventh win for the Cyclones as they roll on to their second win of the season. The Texas and Oklahoma State are going to be the two toughest road games this season for the Cyclones. I'm hedging my bets that they're going to win one of those two and finish with an eight-win season. They're going to go eight and two this season. And do you think that's good enough for a Big 12 championship appearance or not? Yes, because but it will only be with a tiebreaker, I'll say. So they will only make the Big 12 championship based on tiebreakers. Okay. Why you want to go next or you want me to go next? Um, you can go ahead. I'm still right. thinking. Yeah, so I got that win against Louisiana. I'm actually going to go in schedule order instead of, you know, bouncing around the entire schedule like Kyle did. Just so you all know what order the games are in. We don't play all our home games and then all our road games. Um, just in case you were curious. So Louisiana on the 12th, I got that as a win. TCU two weeks later on September 26th, that's also a win for me. Then Oklahoma comes to town on October 3rd. Um, I also have that as a loss like Kyle did without um, fans in the stands. I think that's a loss. Um, Texas Tech, October 10th at home. Um, I think that game is a win. Um, I think we're going to um, win that game for sure. You got to beat Texas Tech. They're not supposed to be um, that great this year. Um, at Oklahoma State comes two weeks later on October 24th. I think that th- that is probably the most interesting game um, this season. I think just because Oklahoma State is um, right, they've. They're a trendy pick here to finish second in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma. Um, The week after that game against Iowa State, they have Texas, right? So it's possible that they might uh, overlook Iowa State a little bit as they're looking towards that that matchup at home against Texas the week after because that would be one that might decide um, second or third in the conference, people are saying. So I think Iowa State wins that game as Oklahoma State overlooks the Cyclones just a little bit. And Iowa State comes off a bye week going into that game. Yep. I mean, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma State does not. They play Baylor. They're at Baylor the week before. So I think that's enough that Iowa State wins that football game. Um, Halloween matchup at Kansas. That's got to be a win. Baylor at home, I think, is a tricky game. I think Baylor is going to still be better than people are giving them credit for. Not nearly as good as last year. I think. I mean, I even said this last year. I think they got um, they got lucky last year with how good they are. They won a lot of close games where if a couple things go the other way, they're not in the Big 12 championship game. So um, I've got that as a win, but I do think Baylor is better than people are giving them credit for. Uh, Two weeks after that, November 21st, K-State, I also have that as a win. Um, Again, I think K-State's better than teams are giving them credit for as well. Um, But I still think that's a win. At Texas, that's going to be a loss. Um, Texas, um, uh, the week before that, has Kansas, so basically a bye um, versus the Cyclones having a tougher match against K-State. 
Um, and I think at that point, Texas, that game, just like it was, um, what would that have been? Three seasons ago is basically going to decide who plays Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game like it did. That would have been two years ago um, in Austin, right, where that game decided who the who would uh, play Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. That's going to be the case again, and I think Texas is again going to win that. Um, and then the Cyclones will beat West Virginia at home in their last game, but it won't matter. They'll finish short of the Big 12 championship game. Mm-hmm. A Big 12 championship game, yeah, but no Big 12 championship. What do you got, Wyatt? So um, so just starting off the season, those first two uh, games against Louisiana and TCU, I think are uh, pretty solid Ws uh, for Iowa State. Going into Oklahoma, um, I'm really not sure what to make up out of that game. You guys are both pretty quick to jump on the L train there, but I think we would have a solid chance. If, If this is a disciplined team, that can really kill it on both sides of the of the line. I think we have stand a pretty good chance at beating Oklahoma. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm gonna say that's gonna be a win. It's gonna be tight, but I think we can do it. Going into Texas Tech, that should be an easy win as well, relatively. Oklahoma State, for whatever reason, I'm not feeling in my gut though. Um, I see us losing at least two games on this schedule, and that's that seems to be pretty optimistic in my mind. And one of those is going to be Oklahoma State playing down there kansas should be an easy win down in lawrence um baylor i think we could squeak by as well i think we can we can win there playing at home kansas state i would agree with you mike that's going to be kind of an underdog matchup i guess i don't really know what else to call that but k-state isn't going to be an easy win but i think we can get that dub as well i feel like texas is going to be a loss and West Virginia will also be a win at home. So I see us losing two. Eight and two, baby. All the way. I'd take that season. I think it'd be a good season. Like I said, that's optimistic. We'll see how we play, you know, especially coming on this Saturday. But it's going to be a good season. Yeah, it'll be good to just be watching football at this point, right? They sure. playing football, I'm going to be watching it. So, and just like I've been, we will be watching the football. I've been watching as much baseball as I can here as we've got come into the last month of the season, and it starts to wind down. There are only three weeks left in the regular season for Major League Baseball, believe it or not. Um, and really, I've got three big observations that I have so far, um, big picture observations. One, the AL Central is a lot better than people thought it was going to be. So... Going into play on Sunday, there were only um, six teams in baseball that had a winning percentage above 600, and three of them were in the AL Central. So going into play Sunday, only the Rays, White Sox, Indians, Twins, Athletics, and Dodgers had winning percentages over 600. Two things to note that three of them were in the AL Central, and five of them were in the American League, Right. That says a lot about the relative strength of the divisions and the leagues. The AL Central is a lot better um, than people thought. And because of the dominance in the AL, it means the playoff teams for the AL are already basically decided. Like the White Sox, Indians, Twins, Athletics, Astros, and Rays are all pretty much guaranteed in the playoffs. So that basically leaves the Yankees, Blue Jays, um, Orioles and Tigers basically fighting for those last two spots. And even the Yankees and Blue Jays still have over 85% chances of making the playoffs, according to fan graphs. 
So, like, those eight teams from the American League are, like, pretty much decided already. It's just a matter of jockeying for seeding. And that don't matter as much because everyone plays a best-of-three series anyway. Um, in the National League, things are definitely a bit more murky. I mean, the Dodgers are making the playoffs. Um, at this point, that's pretty much a guarantee. But um, after that, the Cubs, right? So the Dodgers and the Braves have greater than 99% chances of making the playoffs, according to fan graphs, are the only teams in the National League where there are already those five, te- five teams in the American League with that chance. So just more murky, especially down at the bottom where the Mets, Marlins, Brewers, Reds, Giants, Rockies are all still in that 40 to 50% chance of making the playoffs, according to fan graphs. So... The National League playoff races will be a lot more important um, because seeding won't matter as much in Major League Baseball, especially because the rumors are continuing to grow that Major League Baseball is going to have a playoff bubble, um, much like the NFL and um, oh sorry, much like the NBA and NHL have had. Um, and Kyle is going to give us a little more information on those rumors. Yeah. So. Um, I have heard this from Jeff Passan, who is a very, very well-known MLB writer um, and analyst, and he has mentioned that multiple, multiple hotels have been booked in both L.A. and the Houston-slash-Arlington area, Um, so it's looking increasingly likely that the NL uh, will play the entirety of their... um, uh, postseason in Los Angeles um, with splitting time between Anaheim and the Dodgers Stadium in downtown LA, or I guess right outside downtown, and then the AL playing at the new Rangers ballpark in Arlington and the Astros ballpark in Houston. And then according to Jeff, they are the hotels are booked uh, likewise for the World Series, but in Texas. Uh, so they will either play at the Astros Stadium or in Arlington. None of this has actually been confirmed by the MLB. It has just been dug up by the sports writers. So take this information as you wish. But all of these sports writers are very well known and very well versed in the Major League Baseball realm. So I trust Jeff and his sources. Yeah, this idea had been being kicked around for a while, and people just seem to be assuming that it's going to happen despite nothing being officially announced, which surprised me. Like, I just, everything I read about these playoffs is really like, yep, and seeding will matter, especially less because of the playoff bubble. And I just keep being like, wait, 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 wait. That isn't official yet. Stop assuming there's a playoff bubble until it's official. It seems likely, but not official. I don't like when sports writers assume things like that. Don't assume it's official yet. Anyway, especially since the Players Association has been dead quiet about it. So we'll see what happens. In, uh, oh, I guess one other story. So in MLB news yesterday, did you guys see that the Nationals general manager was kicked out of the game by security because he wasn't wearing his mask? Yeah, but, 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 you are ruining the- Mike's stupid rules right now. Stop that. You are ruining Mike's stupid rules. We're going to talk about that later. You're going to talk about that later. Stop ruining Mike's stupid rules. Moving moving on, uh, you should really write out things in your segments. So 
speaking of bubbles before, uh, the NBA is still playing without an out a hitch. Uh, so they are everyone is in the east is in the second round of the NBA playoffs right now. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, the Milwaukee Bucks, the number one overall seed as of as of today, uh, Monday, uh, September seventh. They are down three to one in their series with the Miami Heat as the Miami Heat moved on as the five seed over the Indianapolis Pacers. Uh, it's so far the Milwaukee Bucks have not had their way with Miami. Jimmy Butler has been putting on a show. Uh, Miami continues to hit threes. Giannis did uh, go down late in the or I guess relatively early in game four, but the Milwaukee Bucks were able to pull it out in overtime. Uh that series, or no one has won or come back to win a series down 3 0 uh, as of late in the NBA playoffs. So the Miami Heat, based or statistically, are almost destined to win that series, but we'll see if Giannis can make it further uh, with this team. And that might lay out a Big landscape change this offseason as Giannis is a free agent. Uh, the other two teams playing in the Eastern Conference are the Toronto Raptors moved on and the Boston Celtics, the number two and three seeds respectively. The Boston Celtics jumped out to a 2-0 early series lead, but Toronto has uh, come back. Boston used uh, defense and turning it into offense in the first two games. And then Toronto took that same strategy and shoved it back down Boston's throat in the next two games, to even the series up. That is probably going to be one of the more interesting series in the Eastern conference uh, that we will see this playoffs moving out West or into the Western conference, the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, the one seed moved on. Uh, past the Portland Trailblazers, and the Houston Rockets ended up winning in Game 7 against the Oklahoma City Thunder, as that was the best series that we saw by far in the Western Conference. Uh, right now, that series is tied at one game apiece, Houston winning the first one, L.A. winning the second one. Houston's speed is a big advantage for them in this series, but L.A. has height. You saw that on display in the first two games. Uh, as Houston won the first one based on speed, and then L.A. figured it out and ran them off the court in the second game. The L.A. Clippers and the Denver Nuggets are the other two uh, teams squaring off in the Western Conference. The Clippers won the first game very handily behind Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard. Paul George is still completely absent from this postseason. Uh, they're looking for help from him moving forward. But Denver... Uh, has been playing some pretty good basketball. They ended up having to come back against the Utah Jazz in order to win their first round. Now they're playing the Clippers. They had phenomenal defense that won them the second game. So that series is also tied at one game apiece with both or, or with all four of those teams playing uh, as we record this podcast tonight, uh, September 7th. So we will be keeping you posted on the uh, Eastern and Western Conference finals as those uh, come. And then, of course, the finals later on uh, this year. So as we move on along, move on along. That's a great segue into my 
favorite segment of this podcast now, since it's got my name on it, the Vault of Hilarious Contracts. So this one is actually super recent, and this comes or is back to the gridiron. Uh, and we are talking about Josh McCown, the journeyman quarterback in the NFL. So just recently, he signed a new contract with the Philadelphia Eagles that will allow him to live at his house in Texas and work out, train, do what he wishes, and watch his team play from his couch. For that, he'll be compensated $12,000 a week and will serve as Philly's emergency QB. There isn't a better contract in sports. You get paid $12,000 a week to watch your team from your couch, and you're the emergency quarterback. So basically he's inactive every week unless a bunch of quarterbacks get hurt? Exactly. I, I believe he, he is actually on their practice squad, um, mm-hmm. but he gets to stay at home. He is the oldest, for that uh, matter, he is the oldest practice squad player in NFL history, too. But yeah, along with that— players, he, Practice squad players are usually young guys. Yeah. Along with that, though, he gets to live at the comfort of his own home, do whatever training he wishes, and he's basically on call. If need be. I like that. Like every contract you've talked about thus far in the history of the Vault of Hilarious Contracts, that is a contract I would sign. That That is a contract I would sign without a doubt. I would sign pretty much any NFL contract, to be honest. So. Yeah, same. Moving on to my favorite segment is, of course, our weekly turtle tab. And I have great news to report in our weekly turtle tab. Baseball savior Willens Astadio has been up. He has appeared in Major League Games, and I am here to give you all the details. Um, As part of a Twins doubleheader on Friday, Willens Astudio was the 29th man um, activated, the extra man for the doubleheader. Um, He did not appear in Game 1 and was not um, scheduled to start at catcher in Game 2. But early in that game, uh, starting catcher Alex Avila had some back tightness, and Willens Astudio was forced, or got was forced or got to, depending on how you look at it, enter the game. Um, that uh, that game, he was he uh, caught the last part of that game. He did go 0 for 1, but he did end up scoring a run in that game. He ended up scoring the game-winning run in extra innings when he. Um, Scored. He was the extra runner starting on second base in the extra innings, and he uh, scored on a single by Marwin Gonzalez, scoring the uh, the only or the the winning run of that game. Which was weird because it was the game was at Target Field, and the Twins scored in extra innings, but they were actually the road team because the doubleheader was making up a game that got rained out in Detroit the weekend before. So the Twins scored the in extra innings, but didn't walk off anyway. Astudio scored the run, and we got to watch him run round third base again, and it was great. He's so fun to watch run with those cheeks flapping as he's running. It's great. Um, and then uh, Alex, so and then he got sent down, of course, because he was the extra man, so they had to. But then the next day, Avila got placed on the DL with that back tightness, and of course, Astudio was the one who got called up to replace him. Since then, he has appeared in. Um, two games on the 5th and the 6th. 
On the fifth, he didn't actually get any at-bats. He came in late after Ryan Jeffers was pinch hit for. And on the sixth, he uh, did go one for three with two RBIs um, in the game on Saturday. So, Willens Astadio is up. He will be up for the foreseeable future. Um, just because both Mitch Garver and Alex Avila are hurt. So, go Willens Astadio. So happy. Love seeing him there. Um, moving on to the segment that Kyle spoiled earlier in the um or sort of spoiled earlier in the episode. Um, in Mike's Stupid Rules this week, we are going to talk about what authority umpires have to eject non-players slash coaches, right? This is coming from, of course, the incident Kyle referenced um, previously where the Nationals GM was ejected from his suite up in, like, the third deck of the stadium there in Atlanta. He was ejected from the the suite. Basically what happened is um, the home plate umpire basically just turned in a 2-2 count to Eric Thames, just turned and pointed up there and says, you're gone, we'll wait. He's like, we'll wait for you to leave, right? Because the umpire can't, you know, go up there and force him. Basically the umpire had to call security um, to get go up there and force him to leave. on the replay, it sounded like they ejected him for not wearing a mask, as Kyle referenced. Um, that can't be the case because they're not. The umpires aren't looking up there to go eject him for not wearing a mask when there was nobody around. He must have been barking down at those umpires, and the microphones just didn't pick it up, and they were sick of it, so they tossed him. And then when they were explaining to security, they'd be like, and we'll get him for not wearing a mask, too, because that's technically against the rules. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, the umpires do have authority to eject um, other team personnel um, if they uh, if they do something that is grounds for ejection. So just like they can eject players and managers and coaches um, that are on the playing field, they do also have the ability to eject other team personnel um, with that same thing. Now, you will see umpires ask for fans' removal as well. An umpire can't actually eject a fan and force them to leave. The umpire has no authority over forcing fans out of the ballpark. Generally, team security will listen to an umpire if they want a fan removed. I've never seen an instance of stadium security not doing it. So they can eject any team personnel, including you know owners, GMs, anybody who works for the team, can be ejected by the umpires, whereas just fans, the umpires could ask the security to remove them, but they cannot formally eject them. So there you go. That is the power the umpires have on removing non-player personnel from a game. Thank you to Hunter Wendelstadt, the home plate umpire, um, and Washington's GM. Wasn't I thought Joe West was the home plate umpire and Hunter Wendelstedt was the second base. No, Joe West was the Joe West was the crew chief. Wendelstedt oh. was the home plate umpire who tossed him. Oh, okay. And then Joe West went to enforce it with security because that's his job as the crew chief. So yeah, leave it to Joe West. That's his job. He's doing his job. He did his job as an umpire, sticking up for his crewmate who ejected somebody. That's his job. So. That is all we have for Stupid Rules, so we move on to our final signature segment, our Write That Down Predictions. 
And we have one prediction that came off the board this week. It was from Josh. He predicted earlier in the year that baseball would not make it past the end of August. This was right after the Cardinals had their big outbreak. The Marlins and Cardinals did. And people were really pessimistic. He predicted that baseball would not make it past the end of August. It is now early September, and we are still playing baseball. So for that, he gets a nah. That is all in our accountability session. So, Kyle, you want to start putting some things back on the board? Yeah. So, NFL football is, as the as we are recording this, only three days away from kickoff. And that starts with the Chiefs and the Texans. So, my prediction is that the Chiefs will score at least five offensive touchdowns on Thursday night football. Whew. Run up the score. That's a lot of touchdowns. Um, if you're keeping uh, track at home, that's at least 35 points on offense. Well, assuming they make those field goals. Or uh, those yeah. extra points, I should say. You're, so you're at right. least 30. It's at, at least 30. 30. Yeah. Yes. You cannot. Yes. That's, um, a lot of, that's a lot of touchdowns. I like it. What are you well, thinking for that think? one? I mean, it, it ain't going to happen. But triple or home I'm run? thinking triple. So it's possible, right? Like, is this yeah. home run territory? I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm agree. I agree with the triple. Yeah, triple it is. I'm I'm not arguing for more. Sweet. Um, my prediction. I am predicting that despite um, uh, Studio's call up and recent success, I'm going to make the sad prediction that he is not on the roster for the remainder of the season. He will be optioned back down before the end of the season. That's my Same. prediction. I'm I'm going to say single because once one of Garver slash Avila comes back, he's gone, right? Probably. I, I'm saying single. Uh, I mean, it's three weeks. That's not a whole lot of time. I, I don't think I can really argue against a single. Were you hoping for more, Mike? No, I won't argue for more, though. Okay, that's kind of what I was thinking was a single. I'll take the single. Despite the woes of playing against the Cardinals the past couple days, I think the Cubs are going to remain at the top of the NL Central at the end of September, a.k.a. the end of the season. They'll win the NL Central. Okay. Um, so so they'll, they'll remain. Sorry, let me rephrase that If, if for clarity. They'll be at the end of the, their, their number one at the end of the They'll win the NL Central is basically what yeah. yeah. You want me? Okay. Time out now before you make that prediction. Yeah. Wyatt, does Wyatt already have a Cubs win the NL Central? You already have a Cubs win really? the NL Central prediction on the board. Oh, that's so. Garbage. I believe by write that down prediction rules, that is an illegal prediction. I don't it think is. it is. We have we have stipulations for that. You cannot make the same really? prediction twice. Yes, Man. it's already on the board. You would you would think I would keep better track of what I'm predicting. Uh, I'll it, change that. It is that. in a spreadsheet that you have access to. I mean, I do. You're, you're right. Um, but let me do a quick stat search. Let's go ahead and get Josh's prediction up real quick then while I scurry. Yep. Josh predicts that Iowa State wide receiver, or former Iowa State wide receiver, Alan Lazard, now with the Packers, We'll have a, at least one TD in one of the first two weeks of the NFL season. Mm, I want to so see that happen. He's the number two receiver on the Packers depth chart right double. now. Double. Yeah. I would I'd do a double and a triple. 
Well, see, he's the number two receiver, right? He did get a ton of red zone targets last season. Yeah. I don't know. I think, among other things, we short Josh a lot. So I think he deserves a triple for this one. Sure. You talked me into it. Why? You good with that? That is fine with me. He had three touchdowns all of last year, to, for the record. So. But he wasn't the number two receiver all last year. Yeah. All right, triple it is. Wyatt, do you have a prediction to replace your illegal prediction? I do. I need to double-check this one also isn't illegal. I don't think it is. But I can do a little quick Control-F on this spreadsheet and check. And I have that one up on the board as well. Crap, man. <laughs> I am so predictable. This is awful. Uh, what I was going to say was Rizzo for the most hit by pitch in 2020. Yeah, he's uh, yeah. number two or three right now. But I already have that one up on the board, too. Man, nope. this is rough. I'm struggling. I'm floundering like a fish right now. Let's say that um, what's something that's kind of silly but easy to keep track of. Let's say that uh, Cowboy Joe, Joe West, will not umpire a championship game. What do you mean by championship game? Uh, World Series or... ALCS or NLCS? Or, yeah, or ALCS or NLCS. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, what do you think, Kyle? That's a tough one. That is a tough one. Um, how do they wait? How do they pick those again? Based on performance in the earlier rounds of the playoffs, usually Joe West will get a playoff assignment. He's yep. like the most veteran umpire at this point, so he'll get a playoff assignment. Just matters on how he does in that assignment. Well, he's already there, and it'll be trimmed down to two crews, or well, two crews per league. Then, well, one crew per league in this for the CS, mm-hmm. right? Oh, right. Six, six, yeah, six umpire crews though, instead of the usual four, six six member crews for the playoffs. Yeah. Triple? Sure, why not? I don't know. I have no idea. So what to hard give to that, so oh, no idea what to give that. So we'll give you a triple. Sounds like a plan to me. And that was kind of awkward. We went out of order. We went Kyle, Mike, Josh, Wyatt, because I'm really bad at making predictions. But that's fine. That's the end of the Write That Down Prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 96 of the 8311Cast. Appreciate you sticking around. Make sure to check out our Instagram at 8311Cast. Drop us a line if you want on our website, 8311Cast.fireside.fm slash contact. Signing off for the 8311Cast. We have your hosts. Mike Ludwig. Kyle Mush. And Josh Lang. We'll talk to you next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.